The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm Cheryl Jones, your host, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Please be sure to go to the host page of Good Grief at Voice America to listen to any of the interviews I've recorded in the past and to find me on social media, to find my website, and to email me. Uh, My website also has a link to my blog and other resources. Today I'm talking with Reverend Zenju Earthlin Manuel, Ph.D., Zenju is an author and ordained Zen Buddhist priest. She combines Zen meditation, intuitive knowing, and indigenous ritual in a path of liberation. She's the guiding teacher of Still Breathing Meditation Community and the author of Tell Me Something About Buddhism with a foreword by Thich Nhat Hanh and the Black Angel Cards, 36 Oracles and Messages. Her most recent book is The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender with a foreword by Charles Johnson, the author of Middle Passages and many Buddhist books. And you can find out more about her at zenju.org. That's Z-E-N-J-U.org. Welcome, Zenju. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Cheryl? Oh, I'm well. I'm happy to have you and to talk about um, your book, most most particularly, um, The Way of Tenderness, which I enjoyed very much and especially... To have um, have you speaking about the ways in which um, those of us who are in oppressed communities and are also on a seeking path of some sort, um, the way in which you, in particular, put those two together to really get to the depth of, of that experience for you, I found that um, something I hadn't heard expressed in the same way before, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Did did you know when you started, you know, I got the impression from the book that Buddhism kind of happened to you. You know, you didn't necessarily consciously go out looking for it. It just caught you in a way. Would that be fair to say? Yes, that's correct. And and how long was it before it became clear that, that, your experiences with with race, gender, and sexuality were going to kind of emerge more with that practice? Um, I would say about um, nearly 20 years. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) You had to work up to it, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I did, because the first part was just, um, you know, coming to the practice 
and um, and sitting and understanding myself in the practice and shaping it um, according to my own life. And then once I got that clear, I think it became, you know, a revelation to me that my the nature of my own embodiment uh, through race, sexuality, and gender were the the path toward uh, awakening for me. And it became really clear as I um, entered Zen and started to practice uh, Soto Zen more deeply. Yeah, because first I was in Nishin uh, tradition, Soka Gakkai International. And, and, then, and that would be less welcoming yeah. of the experience? No, or? it just wasn't um, like necessary to really look at embodiment. Most of my Sangha members were African-American. They looked like me. They weren't shaped like me. And so um, Nisha and Soka Gakkai create Sanghas in, within neighborhoods and within circles of friends. So pretty much the Sangha reflects who you are, where you live. And so that um, makes it made it a, a lot easier to just um, focus on the practice, and then when I switched to Zen, it was um, I was thrown into more a uh, sangha that was mostly uh, predominantly white and male, you know. So I, that was different for me. So it made uh, my own embodiment and the nature of it stand out more. And um, but my preparation by being in the Soka Gakkai um, helped me to be um, prepared and ready to uh, take on this new um, way of walking, you know, a spiritual path. Hmm. That, that's really fascinating to me in a few ways. And, and one way is that, um, you know, I've been in some meditation halls myself, and sometimes it feels as if um, we're th- some people are there to escape the difficult things. Mm-hmm. And I have always felt I was there to unearth the difficult things, to learn how to be with them. Uh-huh. And so that um, that's what I hear in what you're saying that is that the um, the practice of being with difference and b- being with people who who were physicalized differently um, gave you a place to be with those issues for yourself differently. Well, it, well, it made it stand out because yeah, their, yeah, their yeah. suffering increased. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so, that's you know. always evident. Yeah, right. I, I have a friend who does a lot of long retreats, and she always comes back saying, "I feel wonderful." The fir- first week was hell. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah. is up is so up. So um, it yeah. just became so evident with you. And then um, uh, this idea of the way of tenderness which i'm going to have you read a section about that soon but that to me um means that you were trying to sit with those issues in a tender open way would that be one way to express it um i don't i won't say i tried to sit with that i think it evolved Uh you know as as the the um path for me um, and I didn't really understand it in the way that I write about it now. You know, as it was happening, it was more of a pre-verbal, you know, primal explosion <laughs> inside of me where, um, you know, I noticed um, myself uh, shifting into uh, less of a aggressive stand in life to more of one that... Um, you know, had various levels of tenderness because there's the tenderness of uh, woundedness 
and but there's also the tenderness of just like being raw, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a liberated tenderness in which you're you're very soft, but you're aware, and there's great insight. You know, mm-hmm. the softness mm-hmm. kind of like the 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 transparency is there, and the veil is thinner. All these kinds of things, you know, sure. images might come up for me. So mm-hmm. I think that it has had had various levels, and I think it evolved on its own. Um, and then the book. It's just sort of an acknowledgement, trying to articulate that experience. So, um, you know, someone else reading it and then going, you know, the way of tenderness and trying to go toward it would be a different experience than what I had. Yeah. For sure. Everyone, I, I mean, you made that very clear in the book that it's a, it's sort of the matter of um, allowing and then whatever your tender path is, is quite individual. Yes. Yes. Would you like to share that uh, that section about, uh, it starts with um, mm-hmm. your name. Okay, yes. So the name. Okay, so the way of tenderness spontaneously presented itself in my ordination name, Zenju, which means complete tenderness. And the name was a revelation. It revealed to me that I needed to move from hatred and to directly experience life as it is without distortions or manipulations. It revealed to me that I too, in all of my darkness, could experience life as the breath that it is. The way of tenderness is not Buddhist, not a religion, not behavior modification, not a philosophy of life, or a conceptual view of life. It is not a static path. You will not comprehend this way without laying bare your human conditioning. You will not comprehend it by intellect alone. You will not arrive at the door of complete tenderness through manipulative words or through passivity. You cannot be trained or taught at any cost to walk this path. It cannot be practiced. I repeat, it cannot be practiced. The, there are no diplomas or progress reports on whether you have succeeded in not being racist or sexist. Complete tenderness simply rises up as an experience void of hatred for oneself or otherwise. As a matter of fact, I can barely write about it. Still, I feel compelled to speak of what is in my bones for the sake of bringing back the connectedness we were all born with. The way of tenderness appears on its own. It comes when the events of your life have rendered you silent, have set you in the corner, and there is nothing left to do but sit and tell the mental distress or confusion about who you are or who you are not passes. The way of tenderness may present itself when rage is so palpable that you are dizzy with it. It may come as a lion's roar. The way of tenderness comes even when failing to fight for our lives is what we fear the most. Complete tenderness arrives even if we have no desire to sink beneath the appearance of things, including our own identities and aspirations. You know, this idea to me, or this it's not an idea, this experience you're conjuring with, uh-huh. with your words uh-huh. um, is so um, 
potent right now in our world because it's a time of such, mm-hmm. you know, there's always plenty of division. But I, I feel it's, it's uh, more intense right now in, mm-hmm. my, in my own experience of living and trying to live with um, the ways in which differences cause us to be apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in some way, there's something very comforting in what you're saying. Just experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, just let yourself experience it. Uh, I I don't know that we. I think we are usually in the midst of reacting <laughs> more yeah. than experiencing, yeah. Yeah. or fi- or fixing it, or I fixing. Th- yeah, I which, think we're afraid to experience it because it feels like we're not doing anything about it. You know. So, but we must experience it and become intimate with whatever arises in us. And this is what I learned in the practice in order to do anything. So that when we do something, it will be the 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 um, you know, it will resonate with us. It'll be the appropriate re- response, sometimes they say. So it would, instead of something that might come from our minds of how to fix things, and I think we're, we're, we're a society, you know, a lot's going on right now, but we ask for it in some ways. We ask for change. We want change, and mm-hmm. we want transformation, but the hard part of transformation is it's very messy, and it's very ugly, and it hurts. Because we're mm-hmm. very rigid. We're very rigid in our ideas and we're very rigid in how we see others and you see ourselves. And so all of this has to be bent and molded and moved about. And it's it's hard. It's very difficult. So, yes. um, you know, we we want change so bad that we are in turmoil and chaos because everything it has to be thrown up, you know, um, remolded, you know, and that's what change is. And so when I experience, you know, um, you know, that tenderness just, just coming up, and when you say just sit and experience it, that's not an easy thing to do. Mm, no. It's not, it feels like it is like, okay, some people say, well, it's, it's being with it. And they say, okay, I did that for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? And so, uh-huh. but, you know, it could be, you know, like what I wrote in this book, I think came from my entire, you know, 30 years of practice. So, you know, I don't think I could have wrote this book at 10 years or 20 years. I could not have written this book right after Soka Gaka. I had to read it with Zen. You know, I had to read it with whatever came into my life. Well, including my own, you know, also my my own community, you know, a Sundance community, Lakota Sundance prayer community, walking with that in indigenous um, ways too, and also in medicine communities I've been in and also with um, my own intuitive knowing and indigenous um, uh, work with, um, you know, my own cards, the Black Angel cards, the divination cards. Yeah, because I do know you out, you know, out in our community here and, and from that indigenous community, I was really aware reading the book how all of these different experiences are interwoven into what you're talking about, that one mm-hmm. without the other, it would be uh, a very, very different experience and different book. And uh, it made me think of the idea of elderhood, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. what you can bring to something when you've had all of these different experiences is quite a, quite a new thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and um, there, there's a depth to it that I felt reading. Um, that, 
you know, I I hear what you're saying. You couldn't have maybe done that earlier on mm-hmm. in the same way. Yes. And so then, um, you know, there there was one point in the book where you were talking about uh, how yes, we are all one, and yes, we are different. Um, that that was a very um, that stuck with me. That idea that. Uh, because we're different, finding a place of oneness to talk about the differences can be very hard. And I get the impression that something you're actively working with is is how people in a trusting community actually um, interact about our differences. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that, well, what I was really trying to get at is that we as people don't have control of oneness and difference that that is just the nature of life. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes we try to create diversity, but there is diversity, or we try to create oneness, but oneness is itself. And so even when we're talking about, sometimes talking about race, sexuality, and gender, everybody goes, oh, no, we're getting ready to separate, but we're Mm. not. because So if we turn away from, you know, aspects that we think are separation, then we're also turning away from oneness because there's separation and diversity within oneness. And so that is, um, for me, so sometimes people view oneness as something, um, we do, you know, like we come together, we, we harmonize or um, we whatever. We try to, you know, um, be, I don't know how to say the word, in solidarity maybe, you know, the mm-hmm, unity, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Create so, allies and, and. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is one thing. That's a human level of working. But there's a, there's a meta level uh, in nature that's already working for us that we can experience and move into and learn and understand. So um, I um, feel that that is what I was trying to, to get to. If we understood that, then we can have that experience and that kind of allowing an experience of tenderness to happen. So that's like being in the, in the oneness, experiencing everything that's in it, everything that's in life, you know. And um, There's so much in what you just said, and it's time for a break. So let's pick okay. it up as soon as we're done with our break. I, okay. I, uh, I think that we could talk about that for a few hours at least. Yeah. <laughs> right. Listeners, just take these few minutes to go to my host page to connect with me. All my links are there. And you can find Reverend Zenju Earthland Manual, Ph.D. at zenju.org. Back in a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Reverend Zenju Earthland Manuel, PhD, a Zen Buddhist priest and the author of Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender. And before the break, we were talking about the difference between um, trying to make oneness happen, uh, as in um, solidarity or uh, uh, agreement, maybe, or and and being with the oneness that that is already there and becoming kind of experientially aware of it. I'm paraphrasing what you said. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, you can correct if I'm not quite getting it. But that just seems so um, liberating to me, the idea that we, um, oneness and difference are facts and we are um, either allowing ourselves to live in that or we're not. Um is there more that you'd like to share about that? Well, we we live in it anyway, whether we recognize it or, or not. I think there's some things that we as human beings have to realize that are living beings that we have. To, I'll say human because I think other animals really get it, you know, but we don't. That it's already, everything is already here and happening. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we'd like to have the sense that we're in you know, some, uh, there's some choice, you know, in what is going on around us. But in terms of oneness, we're not, we're not creating that, you know, that, that's that kind of, if you believe in God, God made, you know, (laughs) or Buddha nature, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's beyond us. And I think when we start to try to manipulate that, you know, um, then we, based on whatever that causes us to manipulate it, you know, a need to fix or basing it on our own uh, fears or whatever that comes up to make us do that, I think that we we uh, interrupt our relationships with each other because we decide, I think I say that in the book, we decide who's magnificent. We're all magnificent, but then we decide who's magnificent and who isn't, you know, on one yes. level, you know. And so, yeah, it's it's just that if we could begin to look at our lives uh, as that we're not so um, grand and smart. We're just not that smart. <laughs> we're not smart as Buddha nature or, or, is you are to be God-giving, you know. Um, we That is given already. When we were born, it was given. 
when we were born. I mean, that miracle happened a long time ago. You know, mm-hmm. so all we have to do is um, embrace that miracle. And this is what I've learned, you know, and um, to see um, how things come to us, you know, and know that we are emotional beings. So it's not that we're not emotional to know that we're, we have this emotional complexity that moves us here and there and around. And that's not that's OK. It's no problem with that. There's no just part of the whole thing. Yeah, it's just it's being human, you know. So if there's no emotions then, you know, then something is is um being uh suppressed or taken away that you're taking it away. It's still there, you just you don't want to engage it. You know? Yes. And that and that I find it, you know, for me anyway, um clogs me up. Mm-hmm. If I, if I'm trying to get rid of something or uh mm-hmm pretend it away. I, f- I feel pretty clogged pretty quickly. Or we get exhausted. You know, <laughs> exhausted, that's so a good word. Yeah. <laughs> so trying to, to suppress this, suppress that with this one, suppress that with that one. You know, we're just exhausted and then we're just like tired and then we don't want to see any people at all because we're so tired with our antics, our own antics, our own um, habits. You know, we're, we're, we tire ourselves out. I learned that the first time was the first year in sitting zen you know i said i you know wow i am just completely neurotic (laughs) (laughs) who knew (laughs) yeah like good god (laughs) how long can i let this be (laughs) (laughs) so i just like let it be you know so you know laugh at it that's one of my things you know laugh at the mind because uh-huh. it's it's really a trip. It's trippy. Potent, yeah. very potent. Well, there you know, there's certainly uh, with the with my show. I now am on social media a great deal, and so I see how very rough we are on each other. You know, mm-hmm. all of us in so many ways, mm-hmm. and and um, it's so hard to, to imagine a way that. Um, that can shift, mm-hmm. um, but obviously it shifts for some of us by, you know, going through our own experiences. But it really is very hard to tackle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, to to get to the place where you let yourself experience that aspect of um, oneness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult, you know, because it's well. One, we don't want to be like that. Those people we talk about, right? <laughs> that we talk bad about. You know, we're certainly not them. You know, but <laughs> you know, they're in the oneness. You know, we don't want to be like certain people in our family, or our friends, community. You know, we, but there's some aspect of ourselves that is like them in different ways, at different times, in a different context. You know, there it, it shows up differently. You know, um, it's a hard notion. I think that's what Dharma Buddhism. I would say Dharma, the teaching of Dharma is very difficult because there's the, a couple of practices that you have to have. And one is um, having an open heart when others' hearts are closed, when you uh, feel others' hearts are closed because other hearts are open too. They just, you know, they're blocking. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's really hard. And that was one of my practices um, to, you know, just be with the open heart, even though I, I felt, 
you know, I didn't belong or other people were close to who I was, you know, mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. And this is constant. It's been all my life and it's still going on and it will go on until the day I die. So I have to do this practice of that, you know, um, being open. And I was going to say another practice, but as I was talking about that, that kind of went away. But um, No, I know, think what you're oh, saying hear, is... Yeah, go, go I'm sorry. The other one is that um, we are uh, in this oneness and there's aspects of each other in each other. I think that that's a really hard, uh, that was my like first hardest uh, lesson, you know, in, in Buddhism. And I didn't want to accept it. So it's kind of like when you come into Dharma, you, you, there's a lot of things you, you accept or you leave. And, mo- and most people leave. They're not willing to accept that there's some aspect of, each other and ourselves are not willing to, um, you know, have an open heart when others are uh, appear and act close toward you. You know, when there's no love return, they're not willing to sit with that. You mm-hmm. know, when there's no love return, we want that love. We want it now. <laughs> so it's and and yeah. we also don't want to get hurt, right? Uh, no. <laughs> no, that's you know, you know, the thing is, what I, we're hurt anyway. We're anyway, already, yeah. exactly. But think, there's so much yeah. fighting that happens around defending ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I mean that's a lot of our lives. That's the exhausting part. You know, trying to be. Um, I remember a lot of people used the word. I want a, a safe place. I want to be safe here. I want to be safe over here. And I kind of used to say that when I realized that there's no such a thing. You know, there's no real such a thing other than um, being uh, with yourself and trusting that you can take care of your life, you know. And if you are able to take care of your life, you don't have to worry about, you know, other people. So, like, when we don't trust someone, it's not then we don't trust. We don't trust ourselves when, if, in fact, something goes on with the other. We don't trust ourselves to say no. We don't trust ourselves to say our truth. We don't trust because we don't know how without mm-hmm. starting a fight. You know, we don't trust ourselves enough to walk into places where we know we have to do a little bit of work, our reconciliation, forgiveness, compassion. We don't want to. It's too much, you know. So, <laughs> you know, we just kind of like you sit back and... um you know, not not do these things um, mm-hmm. because we are afraid. There's, you know, and we want to be safe, but safety is is a, a, a real illusion. You know, in a, a society in which we're all right here together, and we don't know each other. There's, you're always running into a stranger, which you might think is a stranger, and always, or a a, a person. Yes. Even the people we know, we don't know how they're going to be the next moment. How Absolutely. they are a child, how they're going to be when they come home, you know, when they go out the door, you know, one way, come back, they're another way, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's every moment. So you can't prepare for it. But- and I can imagine where, um, you know, two two of the three aspects that you talk about exploring, I've experienced. Um, the third race, uh, you know. I haven't experienced, obviously, as from that angle of being oppressed in that way, and um, but I but I believe it to be so 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 potent, and and so physically dangerous, you know, uh, 
sexuality can be physically dangerous, gender can be physically dangerous, but to me, walking around with a non-white skin is very dangerous in certain ways. And so that must make it really vivid. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm only imagining, of course. Mm-hmm. 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 But um, the sense of unsafety must be so vivid mm-hmm. be- because it's ever-present. It is. And so you, you can live, which I did, you can live, which I live, I would say, a third of my life in, in complete paralyzing fear. Mm. Completely paralyzed. Never to um, feel my full life, my full potential, my full heart. I lived like that for a long time. And then I decided I'm not willing anymore. I'm not willing to live like that. Um, so it's kind of like uh, walking in, in a, in a uh, forest or a jungle or something, and you know there's some dangerous, there's animals out there that you, don't, you can't tangle with, you know? Yes. <laughs> but you still got to go that way. You still have to walk through that, uh, that, that part of the land. And so I decided I'm going to walk through that part of the land. And if, in fact, I get hurt, I get killed, that will happen. That just will happen. But I can't stop my life for that. But, yes. there, but it's there. And I recognize. I recognize the fear of it. You know, that, oh, you know, any time I walk out the door, I'm, I'm subject to, you know, a whole lot of uh, harm. You know, so I think that I... I just decided I'm not willing to live that way. And, um, and in deciding that, I, the fear uh, just lessened itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes I don't, you know, I'm like even in near danger, but I'm not clocking it so much because that's, I'm not looking for that. Yes. When I'm looking for it, I see it every moment. Every moment, yes. Every moment. But when I'm not looking for it and I'm just, just going along, um, you know, in my life, having the right to walk, to be, to breathe, um, to live, uh, I don't, I don't, it's not focused, it's not um, reify, enhance, vivified, whatever word, it's just yes. not there. It's just so, there, it's just there. Yeah, but I know it's there, but I don't live my life by it. So it's kind of like we all live in California, knowing good and well, it's it's gonna fall like Nepal, you know. <laughs> so you know yes. we just go on anyway, you know. So there you go. <laughs> and some people do quake a lot, but others yeah. don't. <laughs> I'm on those freeways on really high, <laughs> like what 500 feet high up in the air, just driving along. Uh-huh. So that's the same kind of thing. That's very dangerous to drive that's- that high on an earthquake country. Is perhaps until, until you're sitting in me- meditation contemplating earthquake, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then it'll be very, very, yeah, <laughs> and you'll yeah, be very well aware. Bridges. Get on one of those high bridges and uh, think of an earthquake and yes. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, get on it and think about where you're going. You know, you're just enjoying life in the sun. Oh, it's so beautiful. Right, to right. It's a different experience. Yep. Um, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit um, because I'd really like, but not really, because we're talking about basically fear of death. Mm-hmm. And and I know that you grew up being well aware of that for several reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to move into that a little bit. Would you read the the part of your book about when your father died 
Now, I, I, it feels like an important detail is that you were aware that your father, of your father's death, your whole life because he was so much older. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, I, I almost had you read that part, but this part just seems so vivid in terms of talking about what we're really up against with death, um, okay. which I think is a part of all the fears that we have and all the ways we try to defend ourselves in Okay. You know, in some aspect. So let, right. let's uh, let's hear that. Okay. So um, when I was 39 years old, um, it was I who received the call that my father had died in the hospital. I had long known with my childhood intuition that it would be I who would tell my mother. That Sunday, I drove together with my sisters to the church where our family had worshipped with migrants from Texas and Louisiana for more than 40 years. Mom was coming down the long cascading steps when I ran to meet her. She knew by the look on my face that Dad had died. Ten years later, my mother would be diagnosed with a brain tumor and later the great leap into life, into death herself. When my parents died, I came to learn that despite the fact that everything appeared the same the day after as it did the day before, death, in fact, changed everything and everyone. Death widens the river's mouth, loosens our relentless grasp on life, and delivers us closer to the ultimate silence on the earth. I came to see that the great matter of death is not great because it's scary, but because it is profound in its immense capacity to arouse a loving nature within us. It brings our attention to birth as an entrance into belonging. No one should be denied this belonging, regardless of their race, sexuality, or gender. Proximity to death provides an experience by which we can see our profound lives, not as defined by vocations and careers, but as an experience of being awake. Uh, Death seals a formidable interrelationship between all beings and all things. All things arise and cease. All beings are born and die. In death, we come to know the spirit within us all. When death arrives, it reminds us, like nothing else in life, that we are completely interdependent with each other. When a life is lost, we lose. When in the wake of catastrophes caused by war or weather, many are found dead in the aftermath, we see ourselves in the dead. We tremble as we connect with each other in the face of such loss. We don't have to wait for death to approach to liberate ourselves from hatred. We can begin by asking ourselves, have I loved enough within myself, within my house, beyond my doors, and into the world? Have I expressed the loving being that I am? Have I borne this love even when someone's heart is close to it? I am not advocating love or the way of tenderness as an answer to all the ills of the world. Then again, it is just that simple to be loved. We need such love to continue to confront the truth of the prolonged mistreatment that oppression brings to the world. Race, sexuality, and gender are said to be illusions without reality. And yet we feel their presence and hear their footsteps like invisible monsters coming at us. But there are no monsters. 
when we begin to treat race, sexuality, and gender, these locations of life, as much-needed paths to awakening, we no longer will fear them as monsters. We are more willing to explore and engage our various embodiments when we understand them to be paths to transformation. If we do not anchor our inquiry into life within the undeniable physical reality in which we live, spiritual awakening will remain far too abstract. Spiritual awakening will remain far too abstract. That really uh, uh, got down to the bottom of me, <laughs> touched me. Yeah. It's time for another break, and okay. uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about that after we get back. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you want to find Reverend Zenju Mirthlin Manual, PhD, go to zenju.org, and we'll be back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Reverend Zenju Earthland Manual, a Zen Buddhist priest and author of The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender, about the ways her deep exploring of her own hurts related to sex, race, sexuality, and gender led to an awakening for her. And that piece of reading you did before the break, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about that um, saying, we're, we're spirits having a human experience, uh, because um, that piece of writing really invites us to have the human part of the experience as well, which seems so important to me. I don't, um, maybe it's because I'm psychologically oriented, but I don't seem to be able to go around my human experience. I have to go through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, uh, we're spirits having a human experience, that, that saying. That's, yeah, that yeah. saying. Um, yeah. yeah, that... Um, 
you know, even when we say we're spirits, somehow that that becomes embodied too. In that, in that, <laughs> Hard to in get that out of it. For me, yeah. <laughs> so you know, we have to be careful of defining that as well, and that's that's a hard part of being embodied because we're we're that relative is so real to us and so um, in um, feeds our senses, taste, touch, hear, smell, all of those things you know are in place, and so. Um, the things that aren't don't have those senses, you know, we we can't say, you know, we can't even say if spirit is a human experience. But I do believe that um, spiritual awakening is um, our our social justice, you know, that that is the justice that we that activists and myself as one uh, are are seeking. We're not seeking um, to get our way. We're seeking. Uh, spiritual awakening, <laughs> but we won't, mm-hmm. might not use those words. I don't. A lot of activists wouldn't use those words. And I wanted to say that we're all raced. And if yes. anybody's raced, we're all raced. If anyone's sexualized, we're all sexualized. So race doesn't only deal with people of color. It's everybody. You know, it's white people. And then when our our sexualized doesn't mean we're just talking about queer. Or, you know, people. Off, you know, on a margin marginalized place. We're talking about everyone because if someone is is these things that we all created together, we created transgenderness and you, we create we're creating these things together, and so because of our interrelationship, you know there must be these things you know in order to um, relate to each other, we've created these little paths. So we're mm-hmm. all race, all sexualized, and you know we're all gender. It's all together, you know. So no one's out of it looking in, you know, like, oh, those people, yes. you know, everyone's in it, you know, and everyone is it, you know, and whether they're all illusions or constructions, I get that on an analytical mental place, but on an emotional level, we are still experiencing them as real. So that is where I'm working and we're still suffering, you know, yeah. from it. Yeah. So I, I'm working at that place and, you know, I get it intellectually, you know, that it, their illusions and intellectually understand construction and uh, of ideas and conceptions and perceptions. And I understand, you know, um, you know, the absolute-ness uh, of life. But those aren't the place where we suffer. You no. know, mm-hmm. so we, we don't really go, I'm really having trouble with that absolute kind of thinking, you know, <laughs> not, not usually. I'm really Maybe. struggling with that thing called enlightenment, you know, so, <laughs> uh-huh. so, you know, so we start gravitating to, so well, that must be the goal. That must be the, the goal, you know, even in our grieving, you know, the goal must be to not grieve. And that's not true. Is it? No. The goal well, isn't not, to, not to grieve. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. And, um, and yet, you know, I, I certainly notice since I work with a lot of grieving people that um, there are some people who, you know, avoid the feelings of it kind of like the plague. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you really do just, and, and we're talking about griefs, to me, the injuries of, of these um, social constructs you're talking about are losses. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an aspect in which it, it is grief we're doing about them. Mm-hmm. But people work so hard not to experience that. Mm-hmm. 
like any other grief. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that maybe this has come up on your show quite often that we're not a, a grieving society. Yes. We don't take any time for that. You know, you um, you got to get it together and get composure and go to work or, you know, you you go to bed and cry on your pillow, you know, or, you know, if you cry too much, you you really you know, there's something going on with you, <laughs> you know. Yes. And uh, yeah. I always say people who cry a lot, I go, wow, they grieve well, you know. <laughs> wow, that person really grieves well. They're always crying. Because we should always be, we should all be crying a lot right now, like lot. all the time. We should be walking down the streets crying, all of us, with what's happening in the world. But we're just walking, well, just you know. doing our thing. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was in, in Hawaii and I went to... Um, a museum there that was um, a museum of the of the Hawaiian people, basically, mm-hmm. and there was a um, a board uh, with a, a drawing of a man with what sort of looked like a mohawk. The two sides of his hair mm-hmm. were were cut off, and there was just mm-hmm. hair on the top. And I read the caption, and it's um, in traditional ways. Um, your hair was cut that way if you were mourning, mm-hmm. and and I thought, what a difference to mm. walk. everywhere you walk, everyone you see knows that you're mourning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of that haircut. Yeah, that would be a different mm-hmm. world, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, we used when I was little, you know, people did wear armbands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around in L.A. in my community, and there was a wreath. Uh, black uh, wreaths were put on the door. And how long did you do that for? Um, it would be, you know, as long as the people wanted to. I would say about three to four months, you know, mm-hmm. 90 days or so. So um, everyone would know a death occurred. So like if someone came to that door and there was a wreath up there and it was black, that was definitely you had to approach that home differently. Yeah. You know, if you were coming there. And then people would have bands, would wear bands on their arm for a long time. You wear it, you know, go to work with it. You know, people understood it. They may even ask you who was the loved one, you know, and, and, and give you a chance to cry about it, you know, at work. You know, we don't, we, people go to work, we don't even know, yeah, my grandmother died yesterday. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've encountered that a lot, yeah. of course, you know. the, the responses people get. Uh, when they're in grief, because nobody in uh, many people don't know what to do, they, and, well, they're, and they're scared as opposed to uh, being being touched in their hearts. Yeah, we um, we don't have to know what to do. It's already happening, and we just have to yeah, be with what be it is. There. Yeah, we don't have to know what to do. We can just be sad. And if some people say, "Oh God, I think I should be crying," maybe you don't. Maybe you just sit quietly for months and months, and then you burst into this eruption you know <laughs> somewhere uh-huh. that, that might be your your pattern you know but you but say you're in front of someone and it's a very sad situation um I'm one of those people I, I erupt later you know so yeah <laughs> so you just you know I but I do in the moment just feel into my sadness you know and I just feel sad and in, inside and I can feel it and and just I just keep it there, and I try not to push it away. I try not to turn it into tears or, you know, turn it to match everyone else. I just feel it, you know, in my body. I feel how numb I get because I'm trying to fight it, right? 
Mm-hmm. So just noticing, you know, your own pattern of grief, you know, noticing the nature of your own embodiment will help you experience the boundlessness. So like while I'm sitting there, um, you know, feeling all this, I can I can feel this great, immense, you know, kind of experience like this thing called death. That is just really huge, you know, for me, because it's because it's it's like oneness. You can't touch it. We didn't make it. Mm-hmm. It's gonna happen, just like we were born. And I just was just sit and and be sober, you know, with it, you know. Mm. And that is what we know how to do, but we we block it. So you know, or we'll We've say forgotten. Yeah, we'll say mm-hmm. something in the middle of feeling it, like. Oh, something, you know, yeah, but we know and some people just cry, you know, bless the yeah. ones who just cry, right? They just do it. One of my know? kids is like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm awe-inspired. Bless, awe bless them. We need those yeah. water people, you know? You know, I, I, um, I once did a grief workshop with Melodoma Somay a long time ago, mm-hmm. and um, he was talking and he said, you know, my elders, my teachers, I've described the way people grieve here, and they say... How how could a, a society of such intelligence uh, let go of their grief that way? They couldn't they couldn't understand it. I'd I'd love for us to end with the the last piece of read, reading about the lotus growing in muddy water. Would you share that? Yes. So um, when I first read the simile of the lotus growing in muddy water, I saw the mud as a problem. The simile says. Just like a lotus flower that grows out of the mud and blossoms above the surface of the muddy water, we too can rise above the suffering of our lives. When I first heard this, I was not rising from the mud. I sensed myself sinking into the mud. It gathered around my ankles and began consuming me, creeping up above my waist, chest, neck, and then face covering me until all that could be seen of me was the crown of my head. I was a sinking lotus flower. As I returned to the simile of the lotus in the muddy water over the years, I came to see it differently. I came to see the mud as interrelated. I came to see the lotus as interrelated with the mud. I learned that the mud nurtures the the lotus flower. The mud was not bearing me burying me it was feeding me until I was strong enough to push through to the surface although systemic oppression does not feed us quite feed us quite the contrary we need not be smothered by it we can use it to awaken even while we are in the midst of it all we can still cultivate a tender liberation there are many people who because there is work to do have risen up and have not remained silent in the face of our suffering. In her classic book, When Things Fall Apart, Pema Chodron says that everyone and everything is always falling apart. At times, we are benefited by personally and collectively holding things together. Can falling apart be a liberating force in our lives? As a society, we may not be ready for the way of tenderness. Yet we are falling apart. We are falling into the ready-made abyss of life. Once I was told that our good deeds 
at this time may not be for our own benefit and that we are contributing today and, and what we are contributing today is perhaps for those who will live in the year 3000 or 4000 should humans survive that long as a species. Perhaps a way of tenderness as a path of spiritual awakening, acknowledging race, sexuality, and gender seems future, futuristic. Perhaps nurturing our lost kinship seems impossible. What would we have to give up to experience such today? As Audre Lorde says, our silences, mm. quote unquote. Thank you, Earthlin. Um, next week, join me. I'll be with Eleanor Vincent, author of Swimming with Maya. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.